We are going to uh, experience our sixth and final installment of Inspired Parenting today. Um, just a shout out to Miriam. Honestly, I have four daughters and I'm very proud of all of them. And they're great people and I'm really proud of that. Um, but if truth be told, most of us know um, who gets most of the credit for that. It's my wife. I mean, she's really good with them and uh, I kind of watched and if... If parenting was high school, Miriam is a valedictorian, and I'm the guy in detention drinking a Coke trying to burp the alphabet. I mean, she is so much better at this than I am. Uh, if parenting were an entree, she's filet mignon, and I'm a bean burrito from Taco Bell. So I, I lean into what Miriam says and does, and, and so most of what you're hearing uh, in this series or heard in this series is from, uh, from her uh, so that also means if you didn't agree with any of it, it's kind of her fault. So uh, I don't mean to throw under the bus, but it really is. All right, so in 1972, uh, a lady named Mary Rogers wrote a book called Freaky Friday. It was later made into a movie, uh, and it was uh, Lindsay Lohan and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. And the premise of the movie is uh, on a Friday that was exceptionally freaky, evidently, uh, they exchange... Oh, do they exchange bodies? I don't know. I mean, uh, the parent becomes the child and the child becomes the parent and they begin to inhabit the other person's body. And so after this series of sort of comical events, they go back, but they've learned something about each other, like what it's like to be a teenager and what it's like, or what it's like to be a teenager again and what it's like to be a parent. Because we've been kind of looking at this verse about... Um, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. That, uh, you know, if you're a kid, you're like, well, that sort of stinks. I don't like that. Well, just to be honest with you, parenting is difficult. It's not easy. It's not easy to obey. It's also not easy to parent. And so today we're going to talk about the, the, the title of the message. I'll go back to it because I, I like the title. Is what every Christian parent wishes their kids knew about them. I almost called it. Um, I almost called it. Insanity is hereditary. You get it from your kids. Uh, but I went the other direction because I think this is sort of where we want to be today. I want to. I want you, if if you're a kid today, to know what we think. And so let's just jump right in. First, we're not experts, but we're doing our best. Philippians one six says, "And I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns." That's not particularly about parenting, but it certainly applies to anything in our lives where we begin and God helps us. And so parenting is sort of learning. Uh, you're kind of on-the-job training. You're kind of learning as you go. We all have read books and we've watched movies and we've seen other people parent. and We've watched our, our parents parent us. But really we go into it without a lot of knowledge on what to do. If you get on a commercial airline, you can know this. The requirements to be commercial airline pilot, you have to have a private uh, pilot's license, an instrument rating, a commercial pilot license, a flight instructor certificate, a multi-engine rating, an airline transport pilot license, and at least 1,500 hours of flight time. When you get on a plane, you can feel relatively confident that the pilot knows what they're doing. 
If you go into surgery, to be a surgeon, you have to have a high school diploma, a four-year college degree, a four-year medical school degree, four years of medical residency, and one or two more years in a surgery fellowship. You can be relatively certain that if you go under the knife in surgery, they know what they're doing. Here are the requirements to become a parent. No training, no certification. It is stark. Any dolt can become a parent. And some dolts do become parents. And, and so we don't always know what we're doing. Our first child, bless their hearts, all of us who have a first child but have subsequent children, my, my first child is... She is great, and I don't even know how, how she's great, because we didn't have any idea what we were doing. In fact, I would say James 1.5 is every parent's go-to verse, especially when you're young. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. We <laughs> Things have changed, and we kind of don't know some things. And so we're trying, but... If, if, you were to, if you were to venture a, an opinion, what's the number one way the world has changed since, since you were a kid? What's the number one way? Technology. Technology. I, yeah. I mean, when Grandma said log on, she was cold. Uh, it's not the same, right? When Granddad said spam and cookies, he was asking, he was talking about what's for dinner. And so all of that's different now. And we have this different terminology, and the world has changed. Except I don't think... People change, and kids really don't change. They're still asking questions like, uh, who am I? What's my purpose? Um, am I okay? Does anybody love me? Can I get a, an allowance without actually having to work for it? I mean, we, we, we ask the same questions. They ask the same questions that we ask. It's just sort of a little bit different. And one of the best things about... The, one, of the, one of the best ways to parent is to have a good memory. Because when you were a kid... Some of the things we complain about our kids doing, we did. So we'll say, you know, I'll notice and I'll, I'll think, oh, kids are too much into appearance. They're, they're too much into, you know, brands and, le and labels and all that stuff. Well, so were we. I mean, when I was in high school, I wanted to wear those polo shirts, you know, with the polo guy on it, with the little guy riding a polo. But my, my parents weren't going to dole out $45 for a shirt, so I found a place that sold the offs, you know, the ones where the polo guy's falling off the horse, and uh, it was half price, and, and it mattered to me what I look like, and I popped the collar and all that stuff. I mean, we, we look at kids and we go, that is, that's crazy that they're into appearance. Well, we were too. And remember that trend? I'm, I'm kind of glad it's gone away, but remember when, when the kids wore their, uh, their, their jeans and they were sagging? So they were way down, right? They don't do that because it's comfortable. I did it around the house. I thought I was going to break my hip. Uh, it was, it's horrible. And they don't do it, you know, but we didn't do stuff because it was comfortable. I, I had a swatch. Oh, you know what's better than a swatch? Two swatches. Because I saw the ad at GQ and that's what the, those guys, you know what's better than two swatches? Go, you know. Three swatches. Yeah, that's the stupidest thing ever. And we did that stuff. I mean, we, I had painter's pants and coach's shoes, and none of that went together. But that's what we did. So you, if you have a good memory, you can remember, you know, their appearance management is different than 
our appearance management, but it's kind of the same thing. And so we can remember as parents and, you know, maybe not be so critical about certain things. There's a group in, uh, mentioned in 1 Chronicles who they're called the men of Issachar. And this is what it says about them. All these men understood the signs of the time and knew the best course for Israel to take. They, they kind of looked and, and they could see what was going on in life. And we have to be the parents of Issachar and the grandparents of Issachar. And we can kind of chart a different course. We, we, can, we can lament that kids are different than we were, or we can figure out how to, to work within the system that's out there. Um, kids, when, when I was younger, we, we entertained ourselves. We would, I would drive, ride my bike to the park. My, the park was about three blocks away, and I would ride my bike to the park, and I was there all morning, and I'd come home for lunch, and we'd ride back, and we'd play all day, and, and nobody checked on us. Well, it's a different world today. It's just different than that. And if you tell a kid today, go outside and play, they're like, there's nothing to do out there. Like, there's everything to do out there. You just don't know how to do it. And a couple of things that have changed that are really important are, are these. First, when we grew up as parents, as adults, there was an innocence to childhood. Uh, there, our kids see things earlier than we ever even imagined. They have access to stuff we would never have had access to. They, they see things, they experience things much earlier than we did. That's one thing. A, a second thing is this. When, when we were younger, there was a national consensus of values. Everybody sort of had the same value set. That's not the case today. Everybody kind of makes it up as they go. And so one of the things that we need to stop doing is saying when I was your age. Because here's the truth. You were never their age in this age. You were their age, but when you were their age, it was completely different. You were never their age in this age. And so, it's like comparing baseball, Little League Baseball to Major League Baseball. Well, they, they have nine innings, and, and, and you have or nine players, and you, some, some dude pitches, and somebody catches, and they run the bases, and there are four bases, and there are three outs, and there are strikes and balls. Those are similar, but is there really a similarity between you know, Little League Baseball and Major League Baseball? I mean, those are, those are different animals. And, and so we, we look at this, and we, we think to ourselves, okay, well... It's all different now, and it is all different now. I grew up in a home where we had dinner together almost every night, and we would share dinner, and we would share life, and, and you know my sisters would be there, and I would be there, and, and my mom and dad, and we had dinner. I, I remember we, we went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday uh, church, and then we would go back Sunday night, and, and then uh, we would come home. And across the street from where I lived was uh, something called the dairy, the dairy Dip, I think is what the name of it was. And I would always want to get an ice cream, a, a milkshake. I, would, I want a milkshake. And my dad, it was every Sunday, the line was, 
well, drink some milk and I'll shake you. <laughs> and it's like, it's not even funny. I want a milkshake. You know, it's like, it's not funny. So dad jokes haven't changed. That's the kind of stuff we would say. And there was this busyness to life now that wasn't there when, when we were kids. I mean, it's busy. And I, and I have kids and they're busy. And when my kids were in school, they were busy. Elisa's always doing something. And she goes from this to this to this to this. The greatest thing that ever happened in our home is that Elise started driving uh, because then she can get from one place to the other. But we used to share meals together when I was younger. And now I have a family and it takes effort. It's worth the effort. You're not going to have as many meals together as you did when you, were, when you were young, but you can have some meals together. And about the time you get your sea legs as a parent, then they're gone. They go off to college, they go off, you know, to get married, and, and all of a sudden you feel like you've got it figured out. That's why grandparents are pretty good at what they do, because they finally figured it out. A lot of the stuff we stress about as parents, when you become a grandparent, you're like, really, that's not that important. Now, some of it is. I'm not saying all of it. But we, we sort of mellow a little bit. We, we get a little bit different uh, idea about things. And so my dad was strict with me. And then my girls came along, and I wondered what happened to him. My dad, he, he was kind of particular about his hair. You know, he wanted it a certain way. I would come in, and my girls would have bows in his hair. They would have it all teased out, and I'm like, who are you? Well, he, he mellowed. He, he figured out some things. And... That's why people who are grandparents will say oftentimes, if I'd known how great grandparenting was, I would have done that first. I think part of that is we learn some things and then we can apply it to our grandkids. So, here's the deal. Kids, give your parents some slack. They're trying. I would guarantee you they're trying the very best they know how. But they're learning. Parents, give your kids a little slack. Because it's trial and error, uh, and uh, you make errors and then they're on trial. And so you, you have to kind of give them a little slack too. First thing, we have to understand, we don't know everything just yet. Secondly, learning to obey us now will help you in the future. Now, here's our verse. Children, it is your Christian duty to obey your parents always. Obey. Four-letter word. Uh, that kind of feels like a four-letter word. God knows that we are going to, throughout life, have to obey. We all have to obey certain things. If you are in college, you have to obey the, the rules and you have to do the assignments. Uh, if you're an employee, you have to obey. If you're an employer, you have some things to obey. You have to file certain things. You have to keep up with taxes, that sort of thing. All of us who are become adults, we have taxes to pay. We have to obey that. There's a government that we obey. We can't just not pay. I mean, you can, but eventually that catches up. There are consequences. And so God in His brilliance decided, I'm going to put you, you kids, in a, an environment where you learn to obey because that's going to be part of your life for the rest of your life. We, we, we just are going to learn to obey. The problem with us is we are rebellious people by nature. Rebellion is bound up in the heart of a child. 
let's play a little game. I'm going to give you a scenario, and then I'm going to lay out some uh, options, and we'll figure out what's the best option. Here's the scenario. Tomorrow, Monday, uh, tomorrow morning, Monday morning, you're awakened out of a, a good sleep with a phone call. It's your extremely angry boss asking you why you aren't at the meeting where you're supposed to be giving a presentation. Get it? You get the stress of that? Okay. You're already uh, on thin ice with her, and now you have to say something. So, here are some options. Hey, my phone died so my alarm didn't go off. Which is sketchy because you're on the phone. Uh, so I'm not sure that one works. Uh, I'm almost there, but I'm stuck in traffic. That won't work in Marietta. Uh, but if it's a big enough city, maybe, maybe you can get by with that. Um, C. Was that today? Are you certain you put that in the email? Mm. Put it back on them. I like it. Uh, four. My appendix burst last night and I'm in the hospital. I like that one a lot. Now, you may have to really work that. You may have to ask the hospital to uh, admit you, but uh, that one's good. Now, even if you came up with a better excuse than any of those, what's really interesting is when that scenario is presented, most of us go to, well, how do I get out of this? What can I say? And we'll, we'll call it a fib because we really don't like the word lie. So what fib can I... Because fib is like... Fib is like fabric softener. You know, it's, it sounds so nice. It's, it's a fib. A lie is kind of harsh. And so uh, it's a little fib. What, what fib? Why do we lie? M mostly to get us out of trouble. If telling the truth was to our benefit, we would tell the truth. And so we lie because there's a benefit. But mostly we lie because we're liars. We're just born that way. And when the police officer pulls you over and he says, do you know how fast you were going? You know... It's a, you know, 45 zone and you were going 92. You know that. What do you say? I think my speedometer's broken. Why do you say that? Because you're a liar. Uh, that, we, we're just liars. We just do. And when we're caught, we don't tell the truth a lot of times. And so, our kids are like that too. They just don't always tell the truth. Now, God puts us in a family. He teaches us to obey our parents. And when we don't obey, there are consequences. Now, when you're a kid, the consequences, uh, you get a timeout or you, a loss of privilege or maybe a spanking. I don't know what it, whatever the consequence might be. But when you get into the world, consequences change. And so you're in college and there's an assignment and you don't do it. Well, there's a consequence. You, you get a failing grade, you get kicked out of college. I mean, that could happen. When you have an employer and you don't do what they ask you to do, you don't obey, there's a consequence. And, and you don't get a timeout, you get a, you, you get a pink slip. You get, you get a permanent timeout. And, and if you disobey the law, well, then the hammer really falls. And so God is so brilliant to put us in these environments where we can learn what it's like to obey. Now, what's really interesting is this. Obeying uh, your, your parents is training for life. and That's what we've been talking about. Look at the verse one more time. Children, it is your Christian duty to obey your parents only when they're right. Is that what it says? It says always. Sh show of hands. Has anybody ever had an employer who 
ask you to do something you thought was unreasonable. Anybody? Yeah. It, it happens, right? When I was in seminary, which is uh, grad school, I had a class, I was training to be a pastor, and the class was um, some kind of archaeology class or, or like the history of Israel or something like that. And the expectation was unreasonable. The final was this. They, he would give you a map of Israel, a blank map, and you were to put on the map every place you knew where something went. So, Sea of Galilee's right here, and the Jordan River's right here, and the Dead Sea's right here. I knew those three. Those are kind of basic. But you had to know, you know, you're supposed to know where's Jerusalem, and Hebron, and Mount Horeb. And I mean, in Israel, there's a lot of places. And some places have two or three names. And the expectation was that you were to get, uh, to get a C, you had to know 200. From memory. I can't remember my phone number. And so, 200. Well, that's unreasonable. So I went to the prof and I said, dude. I think that's what I said. Uh, I said, prof, dude. Something like that. You know, this is unreasonable. <laughs> he took it so well. Uh, they love that kind of stuff. He said, well, son, how many do you think you can get? I'm like, well, 50. He said, okay, well, then you'll fail. I'm like, okay, well, that's why it's unreasonable. He said, man, we, we have people who do five and 600. 200 really isn't hard. Like, well, maybe for you. He didn't change. Sometimes the expectation you don't think is reasonable, it doesn't say if you think it's reasonable, obey your parents. It just says obey. Always, because occasionally there are going to be expectations that you feel are unreasonable. By the way, you're probably wondering, I took that test and I, I had like 900. <laughs> Not really. Uh, like 210. I think I barely got to see. Uh, I could barely think of anything. I was making words up, you know, like Narnia. Uh, you know, I'm just putting anything down. Uh, it's not really in there, by the way. It's not in Israel. But I, I was just making stuff up. Now, people will say, how long should I obey my parents? It's a really, really good question. Do, do you ever, <laughs> like time out, you know, do you, do you age out of, of obeying your parents? Well, yeah, you do, actually. But let's look at this verse. Kind of two commandments with kids and parents. Children, obey your parents. And then it says, honor your father and mother. So two different things. Um, I, I think the whole obeying thing lasts as long as you're under the provision and protection of your parents. Uh, sometimes I think about it like this. As long as you're still a tax deduction, you should obey your parents. And then eventually you'll age out of that and you don't have to obey them anymore. But honor never ceases. You always honor your parents. That when You never age out of honoring your parents. And one of the worst sins I see committed today are grown kids who refuse to take care of their parents who are aging. It's just wrong. And Scripture says those who won't take care of their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. So hats off to you. If you are one who... It, it's sort of a, a reversal of, of fortune. 
Your parents took care of you for forever, for 18 years. And now you have the opportunity to take care of them. And it is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to express appreciation and love and gratitude. And when grown kids uh, grow up and they take care of their parents, it is a beautiful, godly thing. And and we should um, congratulate the people that do that. Well done to you. Now, a classic mistake we make is to to not adjust as our kids get older. We, we parent our kids a certain way and we feel like that's always going to work and it doesn't always work. So, uh, you, you're a dad and uh, your kids, your, your son is seven or eight years old and you say, hey buddy, come here, come here a minute. I'm going to time you. I'm not sure you can do this. That's what you always, this is the great, I'm not sure you can do this. But I think maybe you can roll the trash can down to the road and get back in here in two minutes. I'm going to time you. I'm not sure you can do it. Oh, I can do it, Daddy. I can do it. I don't know. I'll time you. Go. Kid runs out. He gets a trash can. He's flying down to the road. He comes back. He's all sweaty. Daddy, how did I do? Well, you did pretty good. We're going to need to practice, though, every Wednesday night until you go to college. Uh, That's kind of what we do. So this kid turns 13, and you're there, and you're sitting on the couch, and you're binge-watching Golden Girls or whatever, you know, and, and all of a sudden, you say, son, come here, I'm going to time you. And he's like, for real? It's like, I'm going to time you to take the trash. He's like, are your legs broke? I mean, that's kind of what happens, and, and you're trying to parent him like he's six, and he's 13, and it's not the same. Now, we'll say things like, oh, he's, he's getting all rebellious. Well, not really. He's just figured it out. This is a scam, and he's figured it out. This isn't a speed issue. It's a mobility issue, and neither one of you want to be that mobile. It's all changed for him. Now, we've got a parent to the changes. Third thing we'd like you to know. When we say no, there's usually a better yes down the road. If you're a kid, you're going to be told no about a billion times. The Scriptures say, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. And so, there's a reason. So if you come into the room and your toddler is gnawing on the electrical cord, what do you say? No, no, no. I mean, we we say no. It's okay to say no. Why do we say no? I mean... If, if I did that to one of my girls, they would look at me and they would give me the expression, you know, you are such a cruel person. This is a great thing for me to chew on. Well, no, it's not. We know better than you. We're not perfect at this, but certain things we do know. And it's okay to say no. There are reasons to say no. Let me give you a couple. It's okay. It's legitimate to say no. We're, you're not old enough. It's okay to say that. It's okay to say, you might get hurt. Um, If your mom says that, go ask your dad. Uh, You might get hurt. Our threshold for that is a little higher for the guys. Uh, We don't have money for that. That's embarrassing to say. I hate saying that. I've had to say that. I hate that. I wish I could give my girls, or could have given them anything they wanted, but I can't. You can't either. It's okay to say, we just can't afford that. It's all right. 
We don't have time for that. We're just busy. We can't add one more thing. You know, you, you have piano lessons and you're playing softball and you're doing ballet. It's just too much. We're going to have to cut something out. We don't have time for it all. We don't have money for it all. We don't believe in that. It's okay to say that. We're not going to do that. You're not going to go to that movie. You're not going to go to the haunted house. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. We don't believe in that. And finally, it's okay to say, we don't approve of those people. We, you could say we don't know them very well. Or you might say, we know them and we don't approve of them. They, they, they live differently than we do. They have a different standard than we do. And we're just not comfortable with you going there. It's okay to say no to that. It's okay. Look, <laughs> your kids have lots of influences in their lives. And who they're friends with is important. And so, you can manage that. It's all right. A fourth thing we'd really like you to know is we're preparing you to leave someday. I almost put we're preparing for you to leave someday. This is a different, has a different feel to it. This is one of the coolest verses in Scripture. Children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Love that. I love the image of that. Your kids, arrows are only effective when they're out of the quiver and launching towards something. And I like the, the idea that, you know, I'm a warrior. I like that. I'm a warrior. And I'm aiming this arrow, and I'm preparing them. And the idea is we're aiming you for success. We want you to do more than we ever did. We want you to see, succeed more than we ever succeeded. We, want our, we hope for you to be better than us. We, we want you to be great. And one of the best things my parents ever did is they pointed me in the right direction. My parents, they went to church. They took me to church. You know what? If I, had, I tried to hide one time <laughs> in the basement because uh, it was Wednesday night and it was church again. So I was so clever. It was so clever. So um, the, the door going down to the basement had a little uh, one of those slide locks on it. So it's hard to do that from inside. You can't do a slide lock on the outside when you're on the inside unless you put a little wire and you get in and you close it and then you pull it and it locks. Now, how are they going to know I'm downstairs? How am I going to get out when I need to use the bathroom? I mean, I didn't think it all through. I'm not saying it was a smart plan. But I, I slid that latch over. I'm down there in the dark thinking that my parents aren't going to figure out where I am. <laughs> It took about two seconds. And they unlatched the lock and they opened it. And, Are you down there? Yeah. Time for church. I mean, it's time for church. It's like, then I got upstairs like, how did this thing get locked? I don't know. You know, because we're liars. I don't know how that happened. I don't know. Look, I appreciate my parents. They took me to church. They did more than that. They served people. They were generous people. I still remember my dad being incredibly generous. It, 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 it impacted who I am. Um, they, they modeled it for me. My parents had three arrows in their quiver. And while one of us turned out better than the other two, <laughs> the other two aren't too bad either. I'll leave it to your imagination who's who. One of the most important things we, we do is teach them responsibility. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. It is a 
fact uh, of existence. You reap what you sow. And, and we'll say things like, kids are so irresponsible. Well, okay, teach them responsibility. Now, kids, they have the ABCs of irresponsibility. They'll, they'll be apathetic, and they'll say something like, I don't care about being responsible. Well, okay, you don't have to care about being responsible, but we're in charge, and we need to help you be responsible. Then they'll blame somebody. Well, it was that stupid coach's fault, or, you know, that dumb teacher. It's like, okay, well, whatever. Uh, we're going to still be responsible. And then my favorite, this is a word I made up, coddledness. That's when we sort of never let them experience pain. My parents had a story, man. My dad, he would milk the cow, literally milk the cows before he went to school, and then he came home and milked the cows again. My mother told me that when she was a girl, she plowed the field with mules. They churned their own butter. During World War II, they rationed tires and sugar. They have a story. What story are our kids going to have? Oh, this one time they grounded me from my phone for a whole hour. You know, that's kind of, it's like, it's horrible. One day uh, they made me make my bed and take out the trash in the same day. I mean, it's not even the same, right? And so we can let them learn some things, some responsibility. Number one, give them some chores. It wouldn't be hard. Uh, uh, unload the dishwasher, take out the trash. I mean, it's just really not that hard. Just have them do some things. Now, let's qualify. If you want it done right, you'll do it yourself. Right? I mean, you don't give them chores because you, <laughs> you want it done right. It's easier and faster if you do it. There's a reason I didn't let my girls mow the lawn. Because I like all the lawn mode. I mean, they're mowing, they're, they're singing, they're dancing. It's like, okay, no mowing. Yeah, I like it all mode. But we, we, had, we had them do other chores. <laughs> Mowing went on the list. A second thing is, and this is really important, allow them to experience consequences. Too often, we try to ride in and be the Messiah, be the Savior. Twelve-year-old little Sally forgets her lunch. And she's at school. And she calls you at work. Mama, Daddy, I forgot my lunch. And you have a decision to make. Do I clock out and drive home and take the lunch to little Sally? Or do I let her experience the consequence of not having lunch one day? I know what you're thinking. I've done research. It takes over 65 days to starve to death. <laughs> little Sally will be okay. In fact, hunger is a powerful motivator. Usually, doing without is a powerful motivator. And if you, as an adult, don't pay your electric bill, you have the experience of dealing with life in the dark for a couple of days. Right? Nobody bails you out. So if you're always bailing them out, how are they ever going to learn? This is a cool verse. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precaution. A simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. If you keep bailing them out, you are creating a simpleton. And that's not positive. In fact, dealing with consequences builds their self-esteem. You want to know why? Little Sally, let's go back to Little Sally. 
Well, I was hungry that day, but the reason is I didn't take my lunch. So now I'm in charge of that. I'm empowered. If I want to eat, I've got to take my lunch. You want to know something? If, if I want to eat, I have to keep working. That's an adult thing. Well, little Sally's learning. You know what? If I want to eat, I have to remember to take my lunch. She's learning, and she's being empowered, and she's building her self-esteem. One more, and we'll be done. Real fast. We are imperfectly following a perfect father. Some people in the room didn't have a good parents growing up. Sometimes a parenting series is really hard on folks. Because it's like, I wish my parents had done that. I wish my parents had done that. I wish my parents had done that. I understand that. But the Scriptures tell us that we are God's chosen people. We have a perfect Father. We are holy and dearly loved. There's a word for the people God chose in Scripture. We are called saints. Saints. We reserve that kind of in in American culture for just people that are sort of over the top. I went to St. Francis's Hospital the other day. Well, none of us sort of claim sainthood, although there is a St. Joseph. <laughs> that would be me. Uh, but, but not everybody has that. There's no St. Mark. Oh, yeah, there is. Uh, so there's lots of saints. Saints everywhere. And there's a reason Scripture says we are God's holy people. We're chosen. We're dearly loved. You may not have gotten it at home, but we have a heavenly Father who we don't always follow perfectly, but He deeply loves us, and He is perfect. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word today. Thank You for loving us. Thank You for allowing us to experience consequences sometimes. Thank You for Your mercy and Your kindness and Your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.